about two years ago, I was working with Python, and I just uh, stumbled in YouTube and found one of your videos, Connor. And I found out, like, you can express, like, a sum with a plus slash, and the slash just puts the plus between each. And, like, that's so simple. That's amazing. Welcome to episode 68 of Arraycast. I'm your host, Connor, and today with us we have a special guest who we will get to introducing in a few minutes, but first we're going to go around and do brief introductions. We'll start with Bob, then go to Adam, then go to Marshall. I'm Bob Terrio, and I'm a J enthusiast and uh, working crazily on the wiki right now so that I'm actually not doing Advent of Code. I'm Adam Brzezewski. I'm doing language stuff at Dialogue, uh, APL that is. And I'm working crazily on getting our upcoming release done. I'm Marshall Lockbaum. I've been through a lot of array languages. Um, I'm the creator of BQN and the creator of Singelic. And as mentioned before, my name's Connor, polyglot programmer, massive fan of all of the array languages. And with that, we're going to hop into a couple of announcements. And we will start with, I think, Bob, and then we'll go to Adam. I think there's like a number of announcements in there. We'll go from there. <laughs> Take it away, Bob. Okay. So I have teased this for a while, probably about uh, six weeks, I think. But we have released the J Viewer, which gives you the option to look through code and forum posts and the wiki and Rosetta code and GitHub and all sorts of things for J. So uh, it's uh, done by Ed Gotsman. He deserves a ton of credit for this. He's been working on it a long time. But it's finally at the point that if you would like, you can go to the wiki page and we'll include a, a link in the show notes. And you need to run JQT and you need to be running J9.4. But once you're, you've got those requirements, then it's fairly easy to open up the the, uh, the J viewer. And the only other thing I should mention is I think it takes about a gigabyte of space on your computer because what it does is it downloads that and then from that you do all your searches and stuff. And it's lightning fast. And as I said, it goes through all the forum posts. You can do searches on code, look at all the places that certain combinations show up. It's really quite amazing. So uh, that's my announcement. And I think to add to your announcement, you actually posted more than two weeks ago a short video previewing that on your YouTube channel, which we didn't announce last episode because you wanted to wait till now. So if people don't want to download it or just want to check it out before downloading it, there will be a link in the show notes to that video. I think it's only a couple minutes long and sort of gives you a really nice preview. So it's about five minutes long and there's actually a link to it on the wiki page too. So the link we will we'll put both links in, but yeah, it's, we'll it's, put all the links. Well, in. All the links yeah. will be there. Yeah. All right. Awesome. We'll move over to Adam then for his announcements. Right. So two things, uh, kind of related. One is the APL Seeds event, which is this uh, online meeting for people who are interested in APL or just getting started with APL. And that's going to be March 27. So you have some advance notice now. Uh, we don't have everything uh, settled yet as to what's going to be in it, but uh, and it might be a little bit different than the previous years. I'm sure it's going to be interesting though. As soon as we have something, we'll uh, make sure to announce further on that. And then there's on, on the other half of the year, in the, the fall or the autumn, depending on where you are, might even be the spring, Dialect arranges its traditional user meeting. And this has been going on for many years now. And we are in the process of shaking up in a few things in uh, 
a dialogue and we really want to know what is it that make people come or not come to the user meeting and what is it that people would like to see and experience at such meetings what works what doesn't work even for those people who have never been why didn't they go even if they were interested in the subject so we're going to leave a link to a survey that you can fill out we'd appreciate that so that we can uh, try to maybe change some things and make it more attractive awesome and wait were the dates mentioned for apple seeds did i space out for like 10 seconds right when you mentioned them? I think I did. Yeah, it's a Wednesday, March 27, 2024. March 27th. I think I did. I did temporarily start thinking about an advent of code problem and uh, BQN trains and combinators versus Jelly. So I, I, I started drifting off at the exact wrong time and I'm listening to these announcements. I'm like, wait, he didn't even mention the date. And I was like, wait a second. I must have just not been listening. Being a terrible host, March 27th. Very exciting, folks. I think this is going to be, what, the third edition of Appleseeds? Um, might even be the fourth. Might even be the fourth. Yeah. Um, f fantastic. I think it's a, if it is going to be the same as it was in the past, it's an online free conference, half a day. As far as virtual, con I'm just like plugging this even though I don't work for Dialog. But, uh, you know, it's a great conference because it's short, it's sweet, it's online, it's completely free. And I think, you know, there's a lot of virtual conferences that'll last for like a week or something. And it's kind of hard to attend a virtual conference when you still got work to do and stuff. But like an afternoon of four hours, or whatever, super easy to take that off, watch some nice talks. I think they have a Zoom chat and whatnot. And there's a little get together afterwards where you can chat one on one with people. Anyways, links. That, that's that's how it has been until now. I think we, we might be changing things a bit on the format there as well. And we might even go more than half a day. We might do like a continuous stream of all day long depending on the time zones you can join in we'll, we'll see all right well i take back everything i just said then <laughs> okay it's gonna be a 24-hour live stream for all time zones and uh no i didn't i'm not i'm not promising that but uh we'll see we'll, we'll figure something out i do know there are conferences there's a java conference that's famous for that it's like a virtual 24-hour and they just continuously talk and some people try and stay up for the whole thing but anyways links to all the things we just mentioned, I think I was going to mention too that I did a couple more Jelly streams. I also made a Jelly versus BQN YouTube video. We'll throw links for that in the show notes, but we'll talk about Jelly another day. Let's get to introducing our guest today. I'm going to attempt, I think we actually did announce his name on a previous podcast. I will do my best attempt, and then either Adam or Brian himself can correct me because I think they both know how to say it correctly. It's Brian Ellingsgard. Is that is that pretty? Uh, uh, no. <laughs> uh, <laughs> So, uh, Adam pronounces it differently, actually. Brian uh, Ellingscourt is how I pronounce it in Faroese. Wow, that is very far off. But if you're going to Englishize it, then it's Brian Ellingscourt. Okay. Uh, although Adam pronounces it in Danish, which is Brian uh, Ellingscourt. All right. So, we've got three different pronunciations. Sounds like I'm going to fail at the... the and how, do you, how do you pronounce the language? It's Faro... Faroese. Faroese? Faroese, yeah. So let's hear that one more time from you, and then I'll do my best to, to say it that way, but it's not going to happen. Uh, Brian Ellingsgaard. Brian Ellingsgaard. It's okay. All right. We're, we're probably going to stick with Brian for today. Yes. <laughs> but uh, we've mentioned Brian, I think, at least on one other episode, potentially not by name uh, in two of them, because Brian is the individual behind the RAID BQN library, which uh, David... Uh, at least through his videos, has made a couple different videos making little snake games and different types of games. I myself have played around with it and downloaded it locally. Uh, I think I even opened an issue. Yes. And we might have gone back and forth. Thank you so much for that. 
No, thank you. You're the one doing the work. I'm just pointing out things that aren't, and then you're fixing it for me, which is fantastic. So we're here today. I guess this is this is the episode, the first of maybe one or two episodes that we mentioned back a couple months ago where we said we were going to dive into the game programming in array languages. And Brian is our first guest to talk about that. So I'm not sure if you want to give us a brief introduction and sort of how you stumbled into the array language world, or we can also pivot and do the advent of code because we, we mentioned we might chat a bit about advent of code because it is December of a year, depending on when you're listening to this, 2023, which means all the programmers are trying to code golf, you know, solutions. It's been pretty bad this year, if you ask me. But over to you, Brian, maybe a brief introduction, and then we can go from there. Okay. Uh, I'm Brian Ellisgard. I'm the creator of RAID BQN, which is a BQN library. Uh, I've made a few BQN libraries that I'm very happy of, but RAID BQN is definitely my favorite and my passion project throughout uh, the last few months. How did you discover the array languages? And we should say, I can't say this with full confidence, but I'm guessing that you are probably our youngest guest. Is that, is that uh, of, of all the guests we have, it looks like, I don't know how old you are, but I would say that you're either, you know, high school or university or, you know, we, we might need to cut that if you're actually like 20 years older than, than what you are, but you, you look quite young compared to our other guests. I am 18 years old currently. Okay. Yeah. yeah. So I think definitely that makes you our youngest guest by far, which is very exciting that you've already got a bunch of these libraries out. So yeah, how, I mean, and it's been not directly mentioned, but you live in the Faroe Islands, which for those of you that don't know is a, is quite remote compared to, you know, where most of us are based and either on, you know, Europe mainland or, uh, you know, Canada or, or the USA. Um, so yeah, like how, is there a big thriving BQN community in the Faroe Islands or is it just you? Like how did, how did you stumble into array languages in BQN? Uh, I have uh, never seen anyone else interested in the array languages here, but <laughs> but I will say one coworker actually knew about APL, so that's cool. That's pretty good. I have tried introducing people to the languages, but no 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 one is like interested really. But that's oh, that's too bad. They're missing out. Their time will come. Their time will come. You know. Yeah, their time will come. How I got introduced to the language uh, or the array paradigm itself about two years ago. I uh, I was with working with Python and I don't I just uh, stumbled in YouTube and found one of your videos Connor and I found out like you can express like a sum with a plus slash and the slash just puts the plus between each and like that's so simple that's amazing I I, I was so amazed with this I then uh, just uh, watched more of your videos and each symbol, I learned what each symbol did, and then I tried myself and tried APL, of course. And I was just, every line I wrote, I was amazed. And then I got into, like, puzzles, and I did not know what to do. Because, like, you can't just loop your way out of it. I was thinking, like, how do you loop? How do you repeat stuff? And then I used the repeat modifier to mutate a variable. And then more and more, as I did more of these um, in the first dialogue competition two years ago. Uh, or no, not the first, but yeah, my first. I uh, I I did these loops and stuff and it didn't work. So I just I tried using array thinking and with the help of your videos I actually got somewhat great solutions. I'm very happy with them. And in fact, uh that competition I actually won 1500 kroner because or $200 because I got one of the phase 2 prizes, the getting the randomized participants, I think it's called. Making money. Look look at that folks, making money off of uh learning the array languages. Uh <laughs> I was so happy. I, I even um, I had to ask my uh, uh, head teacher for um, for a confirmation that I'm a student there. 
and I bragged so hard. <laughs> <laughs> it was very fun. That's awesome. And when you say when you started doing puzzles, do you mean like the the dialogue competition, like kind of one-liner leak code kind of questions like that? Yes, yes. Oh, um, I actually asked some of my friends to join in, uh, online friends, that is. Uh, and we had lots of fun me and uh, some guy called dan we uh, did them together and honestly we uh, we thought it was golfing <laughs> so we we golfed solutions and told each other character counts mm -hmm. i mean that's a very common thing to do uh yeah oh one solution i got one less character than them and i was bragging the entire day <laughs> i told them uh, like a year ago actually like a year later uh, after the competition and he was like yeah i wouldn't have seen that uh, i was very happy I mean, there is, I don't, I mean, we're all kindred spirits here, but there is something very gratifying. Like that's something with the jelly language is they literally optimize, like they will search for token sequences and then add primitives to replace that. So, you know, it seems like random. Why would they have this very specific thing? And then you stumble across it and you're like, oh, that's, that's a replacement for like a four token sequence. And it shows up like four different places and you're like, I don't know. Most people are probably listening to this. I don't know. We have probably have an array audience in general, but it does sound a little bit odd to be like, wow, why, why are you so thrilled with like shaving off two or three or even one character? But there is something very gratifying about it. Uh, well, it's measurable, right? I mean, if you if you write like some code that's really beautiful, I mean, you can say, oh, yes, it's beautiful, but you can't you don't know it's beautiful. You just think it's beautiful if you if you know it's 10 characters long, then it's 10 characters long. And that's that. Right. So you get it there and you say aha yeah there's a one moment of i have it now especially when you discuss like it actually just happened uh not to bring up Avenico, but i think it was day two where it had like you know some different colored balls in bags and you needed to do some operations and in python you have a counter collection which is like a dictionary and they have operations defined on counters so you can compare counters you basically like if you want to check if all of the values in one dictionary are less than all the values for the corresponding keys in another, you can just do a less than comparison between these two collections. And that was part A. And then for part B, you can actually do a, a max reduction over counters that like take the maximum values for the corresponding keys. And I had just written a lambda a comma b colon a pipe b. And then Jeremy Howard, uh, previous guest of uh, ArrayCast, pointed out that in the operator module, you can use the or underscore, uh, which is basically just like a, a shorthand form of not having to explicitly write out that max reduction. Now, on the Array podcast, we're all thinking that's very silly because <laughs> that's built into the language. Like to do a max reduction is just, you know, two characters. Uh, but in Python, because lambdas are very verbose, they've had it to add this module where you, and then there's an or keyword. So they have to put an underscore after the or so it doesn't clash. But anyways, when he pointed that out, I was like, oh, that's very nice. I can, I can replace my lambda a comma b colon a, you know, pipe b with three characters. And it does look like a lot better. And also like, that's exactly what it was designed for, right? Like, so that you don't need to handwrite these like very common, uh, you know, lambda expressions because they're not very nice in in python anyways away from python uh <laughs> back to back to you so you're you're playing you're not playing you're golfing these things trying to get you know one character or less having a blast with your friend dan and at some point you just start to dive deeper and deeper and then you end up writing all these different libraries like what what caused that or you were just enjoying the languages so much uh i love the language and then my um a real passion of mine was writing games. Mm -hmm. So I actually started writing this uh, game in Dialog APL with the window system. Mm -hmm. I even tried showing Adam this when I was visiting him uh, in Denmark. Uh, do you remember that, Adam? Of course. Yeah. 
Uh, I don't remember if I got the game to work because it had glitches. I didn't know GitHub at the time, you know? Right, right. You had no way to post me the code you said to show me. So yeah, yes. But I think Brian is the only one while I've been at Dialogue, uh, who is like an APL enthusiast to just show up at our office. So he he came. Not just he came. Like he came with the entourage of his father and his grandfather. And they all and they all trekked out to to Northern Zealand and Denmark and and showed up at our tiny little office. And it was cozy, and Morton was there, and we had a blast all day long. Wait, this this is like the coolest story ever. You just decided to do like a, a some kind of mini trip to visit the the dialogue headquarters, and you showed up and got to meet the. It wasn't our headquarters though. We have two offices: one in Denmark, one in in England. And uh, people in general are welcome to come visit the English office. Probably a bit more interesting than the Danish one. But hey, Brian came to Denmark and he came visiting. It was very nice. Interesting. So the HQ is the one in England. Yes. Oh, I've always assumed because a lot of the past user meetings have been in Denmark, I think, or at least I've seen videos. Um, but interesting. Yeah, I don't think there's a good venue that they have in uh, England. Um, I don't know why. It's also way, way more expensive going to England than it is. Yeah, very much. <laughs> um, anyway, so you hop over to Denmark and uh, you're showing uh, Adam your, your attempt at a, a, a bit of a glitchy game, but it's it's, you know. Yeah, uh, I was in Denmark for family reasons, but I thought, why not visit Dialogue? Because, I mean, I, I had the idea, and then I talked with Adam about it, and he was, like, fine with it. And I talked with my dad about it, and it's fine. And then we just went, and it's great. And he was, uh, Adam had to help me with the train system, because uh, I did not know how to travel through Denmark trains. It's funny, when you first said that, I was like, what? you talked about combinators on your on your first <laughs> visit? But no, you meant, like... Actual trains. Uh. We've got special <laughs> trains in Denmark. Yeah, they're not they're not the easiest thing to figure out, but they're not terrible. Uh, yeah, uh, no, but I've never been at a uh, train before. Uh, there's no train system in Faroe Islands, you know. Oh. Oh yeah, that that checks out. Yeah. <laughs> so it would be a pretty uh, confusing thing for you know first time. So you were one of the few people who did APL trains before you did you know r railways. <laughs> Yay! After that awesome time with Adam, showing off my game. I realized that my the project for that game stopped since the Windows system definitely wasn't made for 60 frames per second games uh, because uh, it starts flashing at 60 if you try to refresh it that often, right? Because uh, I, I assume it was just made for Windows applications, just normal, uh, just normal GUI applications. But okay, that's fine. I then got to some other projects. Uh, my Discord bot is my uh, other project that I work very hard on. And then I uh, talk in uh, that I found out the APL Discord existed. I didn't know that for a long time. Uh, oh wait, no, I, this was way before I met Adam, but that's fine. I think you were you were on there pretty early. It had been only it had only been around for like less than a year, definitely a few months. I think I remember you exclaiming in the APL Orchard something like, "Oh wow, the, the Discord!" Yeah, <laughs> because I was very active in Discord, and I was amazed that there was a community there. Uh, I then uh, talked with Azama uh, once about how um, how BQN is cool, uh, <laughs> and then I decided to try it, and it was a very very cool. Uh, at first, I just tried it. I put dipped my toes in, and then I kept working with APL and Python. Uh, oh, and my Discord bot is in Python. Just so yeah, that's cleared. But as I did more and more BQN, I had very I had tons of fun with it. And then I found out Raylib was a C library, which is very functional in nature. Like you can just 
Uh, there's no state in it. It's just great in that sense. And I tried linking to it sometimes. Actually, I heard I saw an example in the Discord on this, and I then uh, twiddled with it a bit, and I just made a standalone library. And that's when I started with RaidBQ. So. You're in the Faroe Islands. You end up visiting Adam in Denmark. You're playing around with the APL and the windowing system, reaching the limits there. You find the Discord. You see an example, and then that just inspired you to try and build a library, and then here we are today. You are. Oh, yes. That's fantastic. I mean, there's a bunch of things I could ask, and we could, and I know, I think, Marshall, you have a couple directions. But, uh, you know, I'm, I'm always curious, especially because it sounds like, I'm not sure when you visited Denmark, but it sounds like you've been, like, how many years have you've been playing around with APL and BQN? Ooh, I, I'd say about two years and a half. Okay. And what what is it that, you know, you said you've had you've tried to convince friends and they're just not interested. Are you just special and, like, you have a fondness for them? Like, because there seems to be, you know, I've heard on different podcasts from different folks, you know, some people, they immediately fall in love with the language. Other folks, they kind of bounce off of it. Other folks, they think it looks weird. You know, what what is it, do you think about the languages like i know you talked about how you saw the the plus reduce and that was it you know you just you saw that it was is that it like just for some people there's a spark or something that happens and other folks just don't have that spark so i hadn't learned python very long i've only been using python for like one month max Mm -hmm. and i've been using javascript for maybe two months Mm -hmm. i think a huge part of it was i wasn't introduced to any other language uh that deeply I hadn't, uh, you know, I hadn't locked my brain in with that, right? So I think when I saw the language and just how easier, how much easier it was with what I was doing, just playing around writing scripts, uh, it seemed like a much better uh, language uh, for my uh, for my use case. And the beauty in uh, in the expressions also caught my eye a lot, and that motivated me to just, yeah, I I wanted to work with this. And um, so the key is we gotta get we gotta get folks. Before they've been corrupted by by big by big Python. <laughs> I I think I think that is really true. I, I I'm teaching a lot of people APL on all kinds of levels, and I can definitely feel a difference when people have a CS degree. Then it becomes very difficult for them to grasp APL, even with the best of will. Right, I'm not talking about the. It's not, I don't think it's a. It's not because oh they've seen something else and they they can't relate to this thing. It's just these patterns and the, the way of thinking has just been settled in some odd way that makes it hard for them to grasp how APL works. Yeah. All right, Marshall, I know I'll throw it over to you for a second. I know that you had a couple, couple things that you wanted to make sure that we chatted about. Um, yeah. Well, I was saying now that we've gotten introductions out of the way, um, we could do a, a little segment on advent of code since most people here have at least interacted with it in some way. So it's running now. We're currently on day five, which is really just killing everyone as far as I can tell. I literally have part B running in the background. And <laughs> I, I know that that's not the way you're supposed to do it. But I'm like, we got to record this for like an hour, an hour and a half. Like my brute force solution on part B may or may not uh, actually provide me an answer in, <laughs> in 45 minutes. So stay tuned, folks. Uh, which language is this? Uh, this is in Python. Uh, I've done all of them in Python and a little bit of APL and BQN. Uh, I will say... To not to actually keep going. I'll save my remark for for a little a little bit. I didn't have anything else to say. I was just introducing the topic. Okay, perfect. Then I will insert my remark. Well, so in general, we will leave links. I am assuming most folks have heard of Advent of Code, but in case we have a new listener that just entered the programming world, every year 
in December, from December 1st to, I believe, the 24th or 25th, there are problems every night at midnight EST, so that's the New York time zone, and uh, some of the very fast people will compete, like, because it's time-based, uh, and if you get in the top 100 on any day, you get, like, 1 to 99 points, depending on, you know, how quickly you solved it. Most folks do it sort of just for fun at some point over the next couple days, and... In general, it's a super great way to learn new languages. That's what a lot of people use it for. I know my buddy, he's doing it in both Python and Haskell to learn Haskell. So the Python is usually not too bad, and then Haskell takes a bit longer. In years past, it usually starts out quite easy. I remember last year, my goal was to do it in Rust. But then the first problem was like, you're given lines of integers calculate the maximum of each line and then the sum of all the maximums and i was like all right well i'm not doing that in rust i'm doing this in apl or bqa because it's like it's four characters uh i'm not gonna write like i can't even write a single rust function in the amount of code it's gonna be for the whole bqn or apl solution this year though i would say i don't know what's going i don't know if like because llms and ChatGPT came out they're trying to make it more difficult but it's been like way way it didn't it was not an easy on-ramp i thought day four was the easiest um the one remark i was going to make is though i found that bqn i i miss so much and i actually saw on twitter someone posted an str.nats function so maybe there's a library out here that i can get the answer to is there like a parsing thing out there because i dearly miss in apo uh the partition functions because bqn sort of got rid of those and replaced them with group which for Doing things like space separating, I don't know the idioms for. I'm sure there's a way that is only a couple characters more. But like for APL, you can just do the not equals uh, partitioned identity fork with a, whatever your delimiter is on the left. And also, it is very nice in APL that you can just go, uh, you can call the evaluate glyph if you have a string of numbers. And then it'll just turn that into an numeric array. But in BQN, because it doesn't use spaces... For uh, stranding, it uses the underscores. You actually have to do something where you split and then turn those in. So like in APL, it's literally a single glyph to take a string that is just integers and turn that into array. And so at one point I solved it, quote, I quote unquote solved it in BQN by pretending I had these two array functions and like uh, str dot, you know, ints functions and then just wrote like the expression code. So anyways, I'll, I'll let uh, Marshall respond if, if there's any resources for folks that are trying to do it in BQN and are missing the partition uh, function or the um, evaluate function, what do people do? And I know this is a pretty specific way to start our Avid of Code discussion, but uh, answering my questions first, not caring about the listener here. <laughs> yeah, well, I can, I can answer. I mean, one reason to go to do this section is because I think a lot of the listeners will be wondering, you know, the same things, having the same difficulties. So there is in BQN now we added... Probably in the past year, we added a parse float system function. So if you have a single integer, that'll work uh, just fine. Mm -hmm. um, you don't have to write. I mean, it's not long. Like it's a reduction in BQN to uh, to get the value of an integer from the digits. But also, you can just write parse float for strings with natural numbers. What I I mean, I don't run into this because I don't do things that require this sort of parsing really well sometimes, but not often. But in, in the BQN libs, which is my kind of libraries that I wrote for BQN, there's a function um, called two nats. So it'll it'll take a string, which is just uh, digits and anything at all in between them. And it'll pull all the natural numbers out of that. So if you've got, you know, one, two, three, hash, star, four, five, and you call it on that, you'll get 123 and 45. 
So that's what I use. It's like a two line definition. And um, I mean, there are a lot of other ways you could write it. Um, but but basically, yeah, the, it doesn't have this built in. I mean, you could also just replace the spaces with with the ligature character for stranding and, and evaluate it as BQN. But uh, yeah, I mean, there's nothing there's nothing as nice as APNs of APLs evaluate, which I kind of view as a good thing because I don't want I don't want people writing eval everywhere in their code. It is a cute trick that like is specifically helpful for this kind of, you know, advent of coding. It doesn't come up, yeah. you know, in the real world that commonly. Adam? See, I don't participate in, in advent of code, but I do, and during December, I get a flood of questions as to how, do, how to do various stuff in APL. Um, and this is one of them, this uh, the getting, you get these rigid data formats uh, as part of the problem set, and you need to parse in not just numbers, but in general to parse it because they are fixed width or because they're delimited somehow. And uh, something that Dialog APL has uh, a lot of these fancy system functions that do huge jobs for you. And in particular, a, a relatively new one is Quad CSV, the CSV parsing thing, which can do so much more than the classic. CSV. You can pretty much use it to parse anything, including, say, space-separated literal numbers in a in a string. You can just throw that at it. And I think we should include a, a link in the show notes as well to a video that I made that shows how to parse a lot of different formats using this and all the options that it has. So even if it's it's a bit too cute to just use execute in APL, there are actually good tools there yeah, that, yeah. Are, that safely convert. We're doing it things. the right way. Yeah, I will say that at least, I mean, maybe Bob, you can add for J, but uh, the the quad and get is like the main thing I use in APL. And then BQN has a system file dot read lines, which is super nice. And that's that's basically where you can get started for those two. And if you're using VS Code, the BQN, I don't know how you guys have done this, but the BQN plugins are fantastic. So much so that like you basically get the same experience if you're on BQN pad or Marshall's version on his BQN site, like the backslash will like automatically convert. Like, so I, d I did not need to install any kind of keyboard, whatever their plugin is. When I'm at a BQN file, it just knows, oh, we're in BQN land and it can, it can do the backslash like glyph. Uh, creating and it also has autocomplete on like when you hit the system dot and you start typing it autocompletes which is fantastic like I, kudos to whoever did that I'm not sure if it was you Marshall or some person out in the wild I think that was all, all ragu yeah fantastic work there and so it's just like I know I've used the Optima or Optiva there's a there's a APL plugin and I think also too you uh, the BQN one has like font recognition and maybe I just have the right fonts or whatever. But anyways, I've I've used the Optiva if I'm pronouncing that company's plugin correctly, and and it's uh, Optiva, yeah, it's pretty good, but uh, it doesn't have like the autocomplete, and I don't think it by default has like the conversion into APL glyphs. Uh, anyways, so for folks that are trying both out, there are plugins, check them out, and the BQN is particularly good. Bob, I don't know if you want to hop in with for folks that are want to do this in J. What font should people use for J? <laughs> <laughs> I think I think um, you know any fixed width font is probably fine for J. I mean ASCII. Wow, that can't be the yeah, case. Just, no. That's all. That's all you need. So how how do I type J again? Do I need like a special keyboard? <laughs> um, well, let's see. On the keyboard, 
It's right next. It's between the H and the K as I'm looking at it right now. So right in the center there. In fact, in fact, they put a little bump on the keyboard for the J, so you know where your fingers are. It's really, really easy to find J, uh, unless you're searching for it. Oh, the the way I find J is is I I find A P and L, which are obviously easy on my keyboard, and then just find the midpoint between them. That's where J lives. Okay, oh. uh, that's a very spatial way to do it. <laughs> it's a very special way to do it. Anyway, um, yeah, in, in, in J, generally what I do is I just load the file down. And then I, I in the past, all I've done is created a, a noun with that in there. And in the process of creating the noun, I can take out line feeds or do whatever else I want to make it into a form that I can actually work with. And quite honestly, when I did uh, Advent of Code in the past, uh, that was usually a good quarter of the job was to try and figure out the format they actually wanted it into so you could work with it. Yeah. Um, and then once you got that done, then, oh, there was other stuff to work out. But uh, the, the, what it felt like the, initially the, the stumbling block was often trying to figure out getting it into the form, which is just, you know, creating a noun. Yeah. That's, that's the, I mean, the counter, I think that was day two, the one where I used the Python counters. Like both of those are technically one-liners if you format it two-liners. But... The majority of that problem is that it gives you like a, a, a you know, a, a cart, some, some, some word colon, and then like space delimited with commas and semicolons representing like two to three different bags. So you need to like, you have to split like three times first on the colon, then on the semicolon, then you have to remove the commas because the commas only exist for the N minus one colors. Then you need to split on spaces. And it's just like, I, that's why I've never done uh, advent of code to completion because usually that kind of problem like that day two problem that shows up around day nine or ten because it's it's because and then that's when i'll give up but th when i saw that that was day two and i was like are you kidding me like what this is why people don't like at or like at least for me like i love the calculation part you know the using a counter calling a sum calling a product a reduction or whatever but this parsing garbage like this no no one's having trouble doing this like mentally it's just a pain to like get it in the right format and it's like if they just gave us if they did like every other you know uh code for or i guess code forces but you know leak code they just give you the function and like the list of values they don't say oh you know we're gonna make you parse stuff for 20 minutes and you're gonna have 20 lines of code anyways off my little soapbox here i wanted to ask brian uh because i know when i was checking out your github i did see that you had an advent of code for i think 2023 so have you done any of the problems in bqn i think marshall even said you might have been trying out singeli this year um, I, I have done uh, one problem in BQN this year. Uh, last year, I did, I think, uh, six parts. Okay. Now, the Singeli part is fun. Uh, Singeli is a fun language. It's like, uh, you know, SIG comp time? Mm-hmm. Uh, it's like that, but on steroids. Okay. <laughs> you can write C in line, and it just sometimes works. And I'm still getting the hang of it, but I, I would say it's a super cool language. I can imagine it being useful for, um, well, yeah, of course, for optimizing code since it's made for optimizing BQN. Uh, but it would be really cool to uh, like use it in uh, game programming even for having really uh, performance-sensitive uh, parts of the code base being in Singeli. That would be super cool. I don't, I I'm thinking about it, but it's, uh, I ha I'm not going to do anything with that for at least a few months. Interesting. So what, so... You've said you did one in BQN, and have you also just done the same problem in Singeli, or have you done a couple of them in Singeli this year? Uh, oh, I haven't even done one. Uh, I've just uh, been playing around, and then I, uh, 
then in my free time, I've been preparing for actually this podcast. Uh, I've just uh, prepared some notes. Okay. So. Well, if you've got things on your notes that uh, you you want to dive into right now, it's a great segue. Uh. <laughs> I first want to give credits. My first example that got me into making Raid BQN, it was made by Null Data Map, which is their username. Uh, you can probably find them on Discord. Uh, I, I like so much credit to them. Uh, it's great. And so they were just the inspiration. That was the example that you saw that uh, led to you creating the Raid BQN library. Exactly, yeah. Uh, it was also when I started playing around with it. That's the when I started making games with it, and I, I just got hooked. And then also, uh, credit to Daizama for helping me so much with F- FFI uh, and being patient with me because I've asked for help so often. I'm, uh, I didn't even know C before I did... Uh, uh, troubleshooting with FFI. Wow. And of course, we're very glad to have, you know, somebody test it out and say, I need this, I need that to figure out, you know, what, what parts work and, you know, what also what sort of libraries we need to get it to connect to because the choices you make with that foreign function interface really depend on what sort of stuff you want to do it and see, like what you want to connect to. It's uh, all, and the FFI system is incredible. Uh, it's uh, like once you get the hang of it, it's very, very nice to use. Uh, another thing I, w- I would like to talk about is uh, some like my uh, my uh, idea of what why would you use raid BQN right because uh, usually for games you want to use uh, uh, well uh, some typed language maybe uh, some safe language but I I love BQN for it since it's a lot less complicated a lot less variables floating around a lot less mutation uh, and honestly I've uh, I haven't actually used mutation in all of my examples thus far. Uh, with the um, like even even my snake game and stuff uh, I always give uh, the state back to the next loop so uh, I keep it very functional uh, and I do that very intentionally because I don't like uh, states uh, and I really want to limit variable uh, uh, like amounts of variables and if I have an array of positions I want to keep it in one variable and mess around with that you know I technically I studied a bit of computer science in university but I didn't really discover like functional programming as a paradigm until like five years into my, like after graduating and taking a number of CS courses, I worked, like technically I wasn't as a software dev, but I was still writing code. And then I went to my second company and it was there that there was like a Haskell study group. And so it was because of that study group that I started learning about functional languages. But like you've, you've seemed to like speed run all the paradigms and like find array languages and you're doing it in this functional way, which like I now code very functionally, you know, small functions, minimizing state change, you know. Uh, so how did you how did you end up at the what I consider like the golden way to program like so quickly? Like, did you it was just watching like stuff on YouTube and seeing, you know, the different styles or like. I didn't even have like the awareness to like know what a paradigm was at the time. So um, it was when I did Python, I always wondered why the syntax was so weird when working with some libraries. I worked with a window library actually in Python and it had classes and you had to do stuff with them and you had to like define stuff in them. And it was like, it was unintuitive to me. And then in APL, it was just... It's like, why don't people just use this kind of system where you just have a function, it does one thing, and it just does it. Some people, like when I asked for help in other uh, places with the system, uh, when they talked about it, it just seemed to make sense to them. Uh, Not for me, no. Uh, It always seemed like uh, magic, you know? Uh, Especially since some classes do stuff behind the scenes, and uh, I never liked that. Uh, And especially when I learned that Python does... um, 
it does what's it called meta programming with the classes sometimes if you give um if you make a meta class it's called and stuff like that it's it's a uh, it was a mess i would say uh, and then um just going back to the simple ages of just using functions i like a lot more so it's literally just style and preference like you just you didn't yeah. like the way it felt uh and and you you discovered very early that there was a different way to program so yeah like like we mentioned before you hadn't been taken to the dark side uh I uh, I did actually learn APL before I knew what functional programming was. Mm -hmm. So I would say I was already a functional program before I knew what it was. <laughs> it was just um, yeah. how my head worked, I think. And I got used to it very quickly. And then when other people do object-oriented stuff, I puke because like, <laughs> it's, it, it, just use functions. It's simpler. Look at this. And then I give an example. And it's like lots of lines shorter. And it's just, isn't this way simpler? And they're like, no, it's a lot more complicated. And I don't understand. Yeah, it is. Uh, I was looking at uh, the CAP implementation a several weeks ago in Kotlin, and it's, I think, the only APL implementation that I've looked at that is done in like a class-based inheritance kind of way. And uh, I was trying to make some small change, and you know, I, I gave myself like five or ten minutes, time boxed it, and I, I was not successful <laughs> in, in making that change. But yeah. You can do some powerful stuff with inheritance systems, but I, I agree that if you can just stick to the small functions, you know, separate concerns, not inheriting from everything, you know, a dog is an animal, a cat's an animal, blah, 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 you know, I prefer, I'm like you, I prefer the functional. Uh, yeah, so um, Zyma's Java implementations uh, are also, I think, done in a pretty similar style. They have lots of classes and stuff and utilities that are in, you know, this or that class. And... Um, yeah, I, I think I probably had a similar thing when I was with the changes I needed to make in Zyma BQN. It felt like, you know, everything was kind of hidden. You've got to, you know, like this thing is defined in this class and you use it over here. And it's not always obvious, like what what's in between those, I guess. So wait, Zyma has two different implementations of BQN? Yeah, so Zyma BQN um, was not around for the first like year or so of BQN. And I've never done like a real implementation, <laughs> but the way it worked was first I adapted uh, Nick Nikolov's NGN APL to use with BQN. And then I started trying to do a, well, I, I worked on the self-hosted aspects of BQN. And then uh, in parallel with that, Zyma, who was like, he was on, on the BQN team from the very first announcement that BQN was going to exist. So he converted his Zyma APL to be BQN. And so I started using that instead of my old JavaScript thing as, as a way to run the self-hosted code. And then for a while, I was working with like a hybrid of it with Zyma BQN, but it, that didn't have all the functionality implemented in Java. So there was some BQN code on top of that. Um, and then later he made the CBQN that we're using now. And that still uses some of the, well, it uses the BQN compiler, of course, but it also has uh, some of the runtime stuff that's uh, for, for things that aren't implemented in pure C or singular. Interesting. And so that means that Zyma APL, which was the predecessor to Zyma BQN, is also in Java, assumably. Yeah. Interesting. I did not know that. Wow. And so Zyma is this polyglot, just knows all the languages, you know, or does, does he prefer Java to C or? Uh, he knows a pretty good number. Um, yeah, he does prefer, um, he likes the look of Java, he said. Um, and I guess he's, or at least was pretty used to object-oriented programming. Interesting. An array programmer that likes the look of Java. I've 
never heard such a confusing statement. <laughs> it does have the benefit though that that Dimer APL is, as far as I know, the only APL implementation that runs natively on Android. Uh, that's actually available. That that can run on Android, but nobody can get their hands on it. Yeah, I mean, so can PQN. Yeah, I know. I know J can run on Android, but it's not APL in my opinion. <laughs> yeah. Oh, shots fired! <laughs> um, to bring this back around to uh, to games, because actually, I think there'll be something mentioned in the title about games. Um, um, Brian and I were talking, I guess, setting this up, and Brian, you actually mentioned something that there was a number of areas that you thought of reprogramming hadn't, like, essentially the paradigm has some advantages when it comes to making games that you don't think have been uh, exploited or uh, investigated maybe as well as they should have. Uh, do you want to tell me about that? Yeah, um, I love array programming with uh, making games since uh, if you have a bitmap, then you just apply it. If you have a, a coordinates, you just use uh, or you just input them, you map with the drawing function and stuff. One thing that I like a lot is... Uh, using the last axis stuff with uh, making code a lot more readable. Uh, I played with rank a lot, right? And sometimes at one point it was very complicated. Uh, every like uh, I had to do so many transposes and uh, switcheroos and stuff. And then I decided to uh, switch some stuff around, and I decided to make the coordinates array be uh, layer by layer instead of column by column, since uh, if you so the benefit of it being row by row is that if you add two numbers, two coordinates, to a list or to an array of coordinates, it just maps right away. But what I found is that uh, if you, it's a lot more intuitive and a lot nicer if you bind the uh, the two numbers with an addition and then using cells modifier and BQN to map to each uh, row. And this removed so many transposes and uh, stuff from my examples. It's amazing. Uh, it's because... Uh, how of how arrays are like uh, the layers are like nested arrays. So each row is like uh, one nested box, and using uh, cells just maps the addition to the boxes. Uh, and uh, and this was a lot better since if you map, let's say, a uh, array of uh, of uh, booleans on a array of uh, coordinates, you just uh, filter with the slash and BQN. And it works. And uh, that's the biggest breakthrough I had, I'd say. Uh, some other stuff I've been experimenting with, that is um, using modifiers a lot. Uh, one version of the model was where I had, uh, for example, a modifier that was called add. And you put a, uh, or not an add, it was apply. And then you give a function and then you um, uh, use a, under a transformation stuff and just nesting uh, modifiers to make it so that, uh, for example, an addition is relative to the camera and stuff like this. And I just, you know what, screw that. Modifiers, uh, I even talked to uh, in the Discord with Marshall and Daizama, and um, they they both said that I just use functions. <laughs> and, just, and I decided to just remove the modifiers and just use functions, and it's a lot easier. It became a lot simpler. Modifiers, use them sparingly, you know, sparingly. That was the one lesson I learned. When you say modifiers here, are you talking about like user-defined ones? Like you're you're writing your own modifiers to do fancy stuff, and that just becomes a bit a bit tricky. And these would be APL operators and J verbs and conjunctions for 
other language people or Wewa modifiers. I think the, the I think the the array community. Oh yeah, I forgot to say. I mean, Wewa is the language to do Advent of Code in this year. Uh, There's a ton of people doing it. Is it? Yeah, I don't. Uh, I mean, I, it makes sense. I want. I really wanted to do it in Jelly, but uh, I can't figure out how strings work. So. <laughs> Bob, you were going to ask a question as well. Well, I was going to stay sort of on the, on the on the game topic. Does that change the types of games that you tend to write? Um, are there some games that fit better to, into that paradigm than others, or is that just sort of a very foundational basis for writing games in APL or BQN? <laughs> yeah. Uh, whenever I start making a game, uh, I always go with uh, like a grid-based game because those are always fun to do with array languages. Like uh, Mines, uh, Minesweeper. I recently made a new Minesweeper example. And uh, also Snake, stuff like that. I haven't actually done any big games that have um, that have a non-blocky kind of uh, uh, look. You know what I mean? Uh, not, so I always pick an array-oriented thing since I think that will be the most beautiful uh, implementation. Uh, so I'm kind of biased, but I would say that it... If you use this for a non for another game that is non-blocky, I think it would be super cool, and uh, it would it maybe wouldn't be as beautiful, but it surely would use array programming a lot with the with the boolean maps and stuff to do conditional logic. Yeah, I mean the game that I am going to at some point in my lifetime, <laughs> right, and probably will use array BQN is I think I've mentioned this before is Scrabble, which unfortunately is a is a tile tile based game but i think it's interesting cuz the data structures behind storing uh your words in a dictionary they use something called like a try and you need to you basically need to do that like i think like trying to represent that in an array language will be interesting cuz i i always wonder like for the things that array languages are good at they're amazing at them but then when it comes to things that you know it's not their bread and butter are they still like pretty good and you can get pretty far or does the language fall over? Um, I'm not enough of an expert to know. I'm sure Marshall would say like, you can definitely do anything. You know, you've done tons of, tons of array programming in all the languages. So, well, so a try, um, and this is T R I E. Yes. Also known as like a prefix or a suffix, uh, tree. I mean, it's really just made of arrays, right? Um, like very few languages would have it built in. So it's just like at each layer, there's an array of things. I think the problem that you'd get is that, I mean, for like a read-only try, array it, APL is just perfect because you just, um, you set up the arrays and the arrays contain arrays. So it's one big nested array. But if you want to like add things to it, then you kind of want mutable arrays. And I think it would be fairly hard to get it so that, so that you can do all the updates um, properly. Like in BQN, I might want to use objects for it. So an object, you can, you can kind of make a wrapper object around an array and then the object's going to be the only thing that knows about the array so it can mutate it whenever it wants and so in that way you sort of get a mutable array but i mean then you can't then it's an object and it's not an array so you can't just like select elements and stuff so i'm thinking that wouldn't be as nice if you need to mutate it i would say why not just um you make a zero padded uh array and mutate uh point in the list well it's got to be nested so like it, it's a tree structure where like generally the idea of a try is that at each level like the levels correspond to um to elements in the thing that you're trying to look up so the first level you use as like an index into the first 
the first element is used as an index into the first level of the tree, and then the second into the next level, and so on. And so, like, if you need to start updating this, then you've got to be updating a nested array, and you have a uh, like that that update has to be has to come up come through the whole nested structure. So, I mean, the, the good part is is that for a game of Scrabble, you definitely don't need a mutable uh, try because you have your one hundred. It's just a 178,000 yeah, word list. Oh, it's just the word list is you just make one on the whole word list. Yeah, so you're probably pretty good in any array language. Yeah, the confusing or the unclear part for tackling like this kind of game is that or this kind of aspect of this game is is that you need ways to like traverse like the way it's designed in Python is it's just like a a class with a bunch of methods for, you know, going backwards forwards, checking whether it's a, a valid word at this point or a suffix or whatever. Um, which is very useful in terms of like, you don't want to do a full search every time you're trying to generate word possibilities. You just want, you want to search what's possible given your tile rack and what's on the board. And if you try and do it exhaustively, your program is going to screech to a halt. And so I, I think, I guess you would end up building this try with nested arrays of nested arrays. And then you would just have some free functions that like given some information is able to like traverse the try because like they kind of do it by like pointer chasing and stuff in, in python yeah well i mean traversing a nested array is just like all right pick the first element of the second element of the third element of this array um so that's actually really nice in apl yeah well time time will tell i will uh <laughs> brian you're gonna say something uh may i uh so i want to talk a bit more about what i do in raid bqn with um with types, since what I like to do is use integers and um, and less floats, because BQN does this where it optimizes the integer down to the lowest uh, uh, type. Hopefully, some well, you have to cast it. Well, you have to make sure it does that with a uh, uh, a system function, but uh, usually BQN figures it out. And I do this with images, uh, where I try to. And then uh, I realized that uh, BQN doesn't optimize for unsigned integers. So I have to wrap them to be uh, uh, signed integers with like modding by, yeah, doing some funky stuff to make it uh, within that range. But it's a, it's a fun thing since if I make all the stuff uh, intuitive with like making images and uh, using functions uh, with integers, really intuitive and you can do uh, some uh, stuff with integers, right? Since coordinates are also integers, you can eventually like optimize it pretty well. And I feel like it could be uh, it could be very useful uh, to have actually an uh, an optimized game with BQN. But I'm not entirely sure since it's very hard if you want to compete with like C plus plus. Yeah, well, you're stuck on the CPU is the big thing until um, until somebody comes along and does a GPU thing, and you're not, but. So you don't have access to quite the same capabilities, but CPUs are still very fast. Mm -hmm. So what are, are there other recommendations? It sounds like this optimization thing you're kind of playing with right now. What would you, if there's, you know, a folks that are listening to this, they've been wanting to get into game programming and you've now built this, you know, uh, RAID BQN, which sits on top of Raylib. Uh, what's like the, you know, what would your recommendation be? Cause I know you have, I think a set of like 10 or so example games that you've written and it's just in the examples, like subdirectory of the GitHub repo. So obviously, you know, the link will be in the show note for folks that want to go check it out. But what would your recommendation be for folks that are trying to build their, you know, first game using RAID BQN? Like, is there a, 
a golden path to you know maximize odds of success on sort of folks first run at this i would uh, first of all you have to follow the instructions on installing it of course uh get one example to run and then what i would do is playing around and just modifying tiny bits of the code uh maybe make a snake in the snake game move faster make uh make the arena bigger or uh and then go to more complicated stuff like maybe what like draw extra stuff on the map like uh, instead of berries draw uh, draw blueberries or uh, add more types of berries that give power-ups and stuff. Uh, that's That would be my recommendation first. And then uh, afterwards, you can try starting up your own game uh, by copying an example and just pasting it in and then removing all the code that uh, is the logic of that game. And then you have a bare bones, uh, nothing in it. And then you just, you can look back in the examples and stuff and then you just uh, give a tiny tiny adjustments, and then you draw stuff to the screen, and then you make your game. And uh, hopefully, uh, there are no issues, and you can always report an issue, because uh, I see them as a to-do list. Uh, I'm very happy to see an issue that I can solve. Awesome. And this might be a question for David, who I think is going to be a future guest, if not future very soon to be <laughs> guest. Because um, in one of his videos, it looked like he... And I think I asked Marshall this, and Marshall said, yeah, I don't know. You'll have to ask, uh, you know, either David or potentially you know the answer, Brian. He looked like he was doing some kind of, uh, like, hot reloading. Like, he had some screen open and was making live changes. But, like, he was switching workspaces or whatever or monitors. So, like, you couldn't actually tell was it just the way it was edited. So, it looked like it was, like, a hot reload. Uh, meaning that, like, I don't need to relaunch an executable while I make changes. Do you know if that is what he was doing or that if that's possible? Because that's such a cool way to program like a snake game if you see like a a canvas that's empty you make a code change you hit save and then like it automatically refreshes without having to launch anything um so he didn't use my hot re reloading though i have designed or made hot reloading uh he used uh what was it no he just used editing but i uh, when i did implement it i realized it doesn't work when mutating variables because the uh, the hot reload is very simple, and uh, it just imports functions from a main file and uh, and uh, refresh uh, or uh, mutates the functions with the new functions from uh, your work file. Um, I don't know if that makes sense. Hopefully, it does. So, like, you might have leftover state that doesn't make sense anymore, or something like that. Uh, yes, exactly. Uh, but if you have variables defined outside the main uh, loop, uh, then those would get like either redefined at the well, every hot reload which is a few every few seconds when it checks and then you edit the code and then it uh, refreshes it which means that you can't use mutation at all with variables outside the uh, the loop function or the per frame function also uh something i should note is that uh, i don't have any uh, async capabilities just yet so uh, any games that requires that does uh, have limitations i'm not enough of a game programmer to know if that's like a very limiting thing um uh it's not uh you can make basically any game with just per frame fun uh, a function activating per frame well good to know in case there is someone in the back of their head thinking of a very specific type of game that requires it yeah i feel i mean i feel like we've skipped around from topic to topic to topic uh we we've gone back and forth from advent of code to to raid bqn to uh you know 
for some reason, prefix trees. Uh, <laughs> uh, are there any other kind of topics, you know, things on your, your, you said you had some notes or things you wanted to make sure that you got to or questions from the other panelists of, um, yeah, we have, we have a, a library implementer here. So, you know. One nice thing about BQN I can talk about is uh, how lovely it is eliminating abstractions. Uh, that's also part of the Raylib uh, philosophy as well. Uh, because abstractions get in the way a lot. Although, of course, opening window, that's a good abstraction. But when you have these, um, uh, just you want to move the position of the camera, well, just add the camera position by one, like just do a plus one, and then it moves at one uh, bottom, well, one down and one right, since you add both coordinates. Uh, it's simple, and I love it. Uh, uh, it removes the abstraction of um, moving camera relative to what and uh, stuff like that. And uh, turning is also just multiplying the the degrees of the the camera ob well the camera necessary. Since um, oh yeah, also uh, I turn the structs from C into just nested beacon arrays. And uh, well, sometimes it's pointers, but I'll I'll see if I can turn those into normal beacon arrays later. Uh, you can just modify a variable in these uh, structs, and it just works. Uh, it uh, If you give it to a C function, since Raylib doesn't hold state, it will just accept it and then run it. Even the font stuff, if you mo if you get a font from Raylib and modify the images in the font, it, it just works, and I love it. Huh. So it sounds like there's a whole category of like what would be methods in some other library for doing rotations or scaling, which are basically like yielded... Uh, obsolete or unnecessary because it's just a scalar operation on on vectors at the end of the day or, or matrices. And uh, also something I would like to add is in BQN you can uh, generalize so much. So if you have a uh, math library, for example, in uh, Raylib it has uh, raymath.c, and I just copied it and translated the entire thing. It's like two thousand lines to BQN and. Uh, I then, after doing that, which took like a few days, I uh, generalized some of the functions. For example, uh, if there was function that did vector 2 x and then vector 3 x, I just made them both work on any vector of any size. Yeah, that was a very, uh, I was very happy doing that because it's very satisfying just make generalizing all the functions. Also, Raylib always uses 4x4 matrices. But RAID BQN can use any size matrices because the RayMath library that I've made in RayMath.BQN, it supports any size matrices for any calculation uh, with the math library, which is awesome. Super cool. Out of curiosity, how many lines of BQN did the translated 2,000 lines of the math.c uh, code end up being? I'll have to double check. Give me like, if you'd like to give me a minute, maybe someone else can talk. Adam, what's up? Well, I just, I, to fill this time, I, I thought I'd mention something interesting. And going back to this advent of code thing, and how do you win, so to say, advent of code? How do you consistently get on the on the first spot every year? Uh, and there's one person. There's no, no is known under the name Beta Virus, I think. I'm not sure how to pronounce that. Who consistently places first? And the the way this person has done it is by making a programming language specifically to speedrun advent of code. Kind of similar to how uh, Jelly is made specifically to win code golf, code golf challenges on, on average. 
And and uh, this person has written this blog post about the design of this language. And if based on that, I can say with confidence that this person is at least somewhat familiar with the APL language family. So maybe there's something to it. I just thought that was interesting. I did just check too, and my, my Python program still running. And it it is updating the minimum location. This is for day five for those that are, you know, if, if there's listeners that also struggle with this. So it's it's just I, I'm printing the minimums constantly and then every once in a while it changes because it finds a new one but the <laughs> the current minimum that it's at is, is not the correct answer i think I've, I've checked like three or four of them uh so we'll just you know maybe we'll just let it run forever and uh on day 12 of advent of code it'll come up you know all right brian's still he's still uh he's still searching uh i found the raylib file and i now found the beacon file so without removing any comments uh which there are a lot of uh, the result turned into 550 lines. That's pretty good. 75% saving. <laughs> so I saved uh, four X lines uh, without removing any comments. So I think that's a win. And the functions are generalized. There's uh, many reasons why less code is better. Uh, the number of bugs per lines of code. But my favorite thing is, you know, the code, the best code is the code that I don't have to write. Uh... <laughs> mm. All right. Any last questions from our, our panelists? I'd like to know where you see your f future with regards to this whole array language uh, venture. Like a job interview. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, Adam doesn't happen to be the, the programming language lead at a company that may or may not have a... Well, we're not looking to hire anybody right now. <laughs> I'm, I'm genuinely curious because, I mean, I had a hand in getting you started with, with APL and I'd like to know, like, is it even something that, that people might consider continuing with? even professionally or is it just a toy and and to and to add on to adam's question i i don't actually think if explicitly it came up we we chatted about the fact that you're in the faroe islands and you're 18 but what are are you currently are you working are you going to school uh uh one at a time let's try uh first uh i'm from uh yeah faroe islands i uh work at a company called intra but i haven't uh worked there for a while uh i've taken like a long break uh, but I'm st technically still employed there. I am in school. I'm in Technische Schule Klaxvik, which uh, is a technical school in uh, Klaxvik, I guess, since Klaxvik isn't Englishized. Uh, I've uh, I'm finishing my last year there, which is very exciting. Right, and then the Adams question was uh, interesting. What was it? What does the future hold for uh, the author of Raid VQN? I've talked with a few friends of mine of like. Do you want, like, uh, my friends ask, do you want to make a commercial? Like, uh, uh, do you want to get money from it? And, like, uh, stuff like that. And I don't know. I haven't thought, or I have thought about it. I just don't know uh, how to get money from this type of stuff. And uh, I've always dreamed of, like, being able to program Raid BQN and uh, earning uh, enough money to um, buy uh, what I need. Uh, it's a it's a dream. I don't think I'll make it with Raid BQN since it's open source, of course. I've I've dreamt about making a game engine with it, but that's like probably not gonna happen. Uh, but it's a dream, right? Here's an interesting idea for you. Just I, it is definitely not why I asked you about this because I didn't have that in mind. It's just something popped into my head now. At uh at some 
dialect user meetings and even in one of the APL seeds uh, that happened, there's a presentation by somebody named Thomas Gustafsson. And, and he has pretty much single-handedly made, I think, the only large, if you can call it, game in APL or, or like commercial thing. It is a uh, ship and boat simulator made for training actual you know, captains to be and uh, to to navigate through between small islands and waterways and, and open seas and then weather and so on and and it's used in really commercially like to train coast guard military personnel and so on however it's also clear that some of his technology stacks so he like you said dialogues uh, windows uh, gui capabilities are not made for this kind of thing so he has some custom made uh, 3D engine that he interfaces with from his APL code, and then that renders to some through some layers to actual something that looks like a modern day video game uh, quality. Um, but there might be an opportunity if this is the kind of thing you want to do. Uh, this is the actual commercial thing, and uh, he needs to replace some of those layers to be able to continue on what's in the future and something more modern. That would be awesome. Uh, I wish I uh, I was that technical. I have never messed with... Uh, well, Rayloop does have 3D capabilities, but it's a very low-level uh, library. It doesn't have a... Um, well, well, what doesn't it have? I guess it has quite a lot, actually. Uh, I, could, I, I could see that that thing could be implemented with my library, but it's a very, uh, it's a very huge project in, uh, in my head. It's uh, it's like you have to collect map data, and you have to have uh, ocean uh, graphics and stuff. Oh, oh no, I wasn't su suggesting that you you clone his his product. That would no. Oh no no, that's not it either. Uh, just talking about how like making something that complicated, you know, and making it successful. Maybe I my uh, if I made a product with my library, uh, it doesn't need to be that complicated or uh, use that stuff. I mean, it uses what it has, of course. Yeah, I I don't know what his requirements are how much he does on the APL side and how much is, is done by this library thing that um but it I mean you know APL fairly well. I don't think he would want to interface with a BQN thing then to, to learn a new language for that. Um but it might be something to look into and and something at least in your kind of area and and uh, and this a needed thing and something you might actually be able to make a living of. I really am looking forward to my future and see if I can get something to work. It'll be very cool. Well, I can I can definitely put, definitely put you in touch with him if you want me to. I would love to talk about it, like talk to him about it. It would be interesting. Maybe we should get him as on as a guest here as well. I think he's on our he's on our I was going to say short list, our very long list of <laughs> our increasingly long list. Yes, which I have. <laughs> we we are in a good position where our our list grows longer or at a faster rate than uh, the the rate that we interview folks. Um, but yeah, I mean, it's funny hearing you say that like, oh, that's a, seems like a daunting, complicated, uh, endeavor coming from someone your age that has speed run through like most of the paradigms that I hadn't even heard of. Uh, like I was barely even a programmer at your age and you've already, you know, you're building libraries, doing FFI stuff. Uh, you know, you're basically trailblazing. Uh, so to hear you say like, oh, that sounds a bit tricky. There's a bit of irony in that because I don't, I don't think you realize, you know, the the complexity of what you're already doing is is up there. So, um, yeah, uh, 
I guess I'll say, you know, thanks for your work. I know Marshall's definitely <laughs> appreciative of, of what you're doing. And um, oh, yeah. I hope that, you know, I don't I don't actually know what the age distribution of folks are that listen to our podcast. But I hope that if there's some younger folks that they're inspired to, you know, maybe take a stab at uh, building something like this, whether it's in the FFI space with BQN or, or J or APL or WeWa, you know, any of the languages these days. Because um, I, I, and that was maybe that's a sort of a good anecdote to end on is that I think people underestimate how willing, um, you know, folks would be, uh, whether that's, you know, Marshall and friends for BQN or other folks. I know in the C++ community, some of the experts in certain libraries ended up becoming experts because they started building something and then they reached out to the current expert and then they were helping out with what they were working on. And because they are basically doing something to help out with their initiative, they end up getting all this like free mentoring and like, you know, basically like, like free education. Uh, so yeah, don't be afraid to, you know, if you want to start building something, you'd be surprised how willing it's like, Oh, you're going to build something for my language that I've created or my project that I'm working on. Uh, people get really, really excited about that. Um, like whenever anyone opens up PRs on my stuff and they've done work, I'm like, well, you've done free work for me. Why would I not want to merge this? (laughs) Um, so yeah, thanks for, you know, all the work that you've done. It's going to be very exciting to see what you do over the next couple of years and, uh, you know, if you do have some big updates or new libraries that you work on, hopefully we'll be able to keep in touch and maybe bring you on in uh, a couple years or so, uh, you know, to get, uh, to get more updates from, from the Faroe Islands. Maybe you, maybe you'll, you'll have moved, so, but you know, we will, we will discover in due time. Um, yeah, thanks for coming on. This has been a blast. And I guess we have to throw it to Bob first. And he will tell us, or tell us, tell the listeners. Well, uh, we now have a correspondent on the Faroe Islands, so that's pretty impressive. Uh. <laughs> <laughs> we need to start asking. We don't do that. I know other podcasts, they ask their guests where they're at. Maybe we should start doing that, and we should build a little map of all the different places. Probably the Faroe Islands has got to be the uniquest place that we've... Although, we've had a few people in Australia as well. I was going to say, Australia... Yeah, the time zones are kind of crazy with those things, but uh, yeah. Yeah, but Australia has trains, so, you know. (laughs) And with that, and with that, we'll uh, mention that if you want to get in touch with us, you can get in touch with us at contact at arraycast.com. And uh, we will have show notes on on this show, as we always do. And so if you want to get deeper into these things, um, you, the show notes may help you out. If you have questions, you can use contact at raycast.com. And we can, of course, uh, forward any questions to Brian. And uh, thanks so much for being on, Brian. And I look forward to seeing what you do. Um, I think a lot of times when uh, people are breaking new ground, um, the next step always looks kind of wild and confusing, as Connor says, what you don't realize is where you're living right now is kind of wild and confusing to a lot of other people. And the next step will always look that way. So don't worry about that. Just keep on marching through and, and see what you find out. Because uh, there's so much, so many different languages. There's so many different things to discover right now. It's quite impressive to, if you've got the uh, energy and the uh, focus to be able to do these things. There's a lot of things you can do these days. So uh, congratulations for, for the library and, and uh, thanks for helping out in all this kind of stuff for other people that are going to use your library to explore other areas. Thank you so much. And with that, we will say happy array programming. Happy, happy array programming. programming.